You're listening to an Airwave Media Podcast. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. I'm Marisela Herrera Avila and this is the Earn and Invest podcast. My mom was in her last semester working towards her MBA when my father died suddenly. She was thrust into the workplace as a sole wage earner supporting three young boys. The year was 1980 and she was offered a job in the big four accounting firm in which she had been interning at. She was one of very few women, probably the only one not fresh out of college, and there was no consideration that she had three school-aged children at home. In many ways, it was patently unfair. If one of us got sick, she couldn't work from home. She was expected to go out and carouse into the wee hours of the night when her younger colleagues and bosses celebrated on the town, and blatant sexism in the office was rampant. That was then. In many ways, the workplace of today is much different and inclusive. Yet, yet, the COVID pandemic has reignited the awareness of issues that many feel have already been long resolved. Have we made any headway? Maricela Herrera Avila is the CEO of Elevate Network, the largest community for women plus at work, focused on creating a culture of equity and inclusion in business. She oversees overall business operations, growth and strategy, and works closely with Elevate's chapter leaders, business partners, and champions to further Elevate's impact. Maricela Herrera Avila, welcome to Earn and Invest. In your Twitter bio, you describe yourself as a professional feminist. What does that mean to you? Hi, so happy to be here. Uh, professional feminist. I came up with that a few years ago because I really believe that what I do for a living, my profession, is to try to make gender equity a reality, um, not just a reality for women. I think also the word feminist is got a really bad rep for a few years. So I kind of wanted to bring it back because it's nothing else than the belief that there should be and equality for genders. So that's that's kind of where I came from. I've been working on this for 10 years now um, at Elevate and realized it's my passion and wanted to put it out there in a succinct way. <laughs> Talk about this idea of being a professional feminist and relate that to your upbringing in El Salvador. Talk about some of the gender roles you grew up with. Ooh, that's a that's a that's a big one. Uh, so both my uh, background, so I grew up in El Salvador. It's a very, very male-dominated country, patriarchal society. 
you know, I, I, I remember having fights with my grandma when I was younger, when she was like, please bring water to your dad. And I'd be like, he has two legs. He can go and get his own water. So little things like that, that always felt to me like, I have an older brother and it was very clearly different the way that things were asked of me and of him. But that, it it kind of didn't really sink in. And when I was growing up, it sunk in when I was living in Mexico, uh, which is where I did my university, uh, my college degree. And then after, right after college, started working for one of the biggest banks in the country. It's a, um, it was the subsidiary for Citibank there. And I was the only woman in our little team, and I was the youngest. And it was a very different environment, particularly because of what I was doing. So I was, it was a new team within our uh, real estate practice. So I was doing real estate banking for large low-income housing developments developments in the north of Mexico. So that might not mean anything to you, but what it means really is my clients wear the, you know, stereotypical hat and boots real estate developers in very, very macho Mexico. So I would have a lot of, you know, clients be like dismissive even of me because I was young and I was a girl. And I started realizing like, this is not something that uh, seems fair. I was very lucky because I had the support of both my manager and his, you know, the, the people that managed him, our directors, because I had proven myself, but it was not easy. And even then I didn't really... I knew that I was facing some barriers to for growth. I think the moment where it crystallized uh, was actually when I was in New York in business school and I was looking for jobs. And I was really in my mindset convinced that I wanted to go back to banking. Uh, yeah, that was the whole idea. And I realized I wasn't really fitting into the culture. And then still, I was almost offered a job. And I talk about this a lot. Um, I was almost offered a job in an investment bank in Mexico. And they were like, this is our last interview. We just want you to come and meet the team, do all this. And so it was on the phone. And he's like, but I have one very important question for you. I'm like, okay, sure, shoot. Are you planning to get married in the next two years? Because we really need you to commit to this role. And I think that's where it like really broke open for me. Like, this is not, this is not right. This is, there's, there's really not, would they ask a man this? And it became, that's honestly the moment where my career path changed. I already had some contacts. I knew the person who had founded Elevate and decided to try and, and do something else. I want to talk about Elevate in a moment, but I want to ask you one other question about your childhood. You mentioned your grandmother and some of the gendered stereotypes you grew up in El Salvador, yet I've also read that you really looked up to both your grandmother and mother as kind of strong female role models. Talk to me about that dichotomy, how they could be both. 
Yeah, it's 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 interesting. So both my grandmother and my mother were, as traditionally in El Salvador, stay-at-home moms. Yet, you know, I'd say that El Salvador is a very patriarchal society. My family, I will say, has been more matriarchal. So even though they were the stay-at-home moms and they were not the breadwinners, they were still the people who made the decisions for the family. And it happened in my in the case of my mother specifically because my dad was always working he was a workaholic he was just like that was his thing he didn't really do much in the way of like day-to-day living of her family um where my mom was the one to take the decisions and to me both of them were even though they do conform in many ways to the you know stereotypical gender of serving you know the man like the male figure of the household or you know the other day my mom was talking about my uncle and how his wife is traveling for a couple of months and she's like well who's gonna feed him and I'm like what do you mean who's gonna feed him he's a grown man he can feed himself um but so even though that is part of it when I see their life and what they did they never they never let something stop them. So my mom is, is a stay-at-home mom, but she pursued her passions through it. She studied comparative religions. She became the leader of like the Buddhist center in El Salvador. She did things that might not have been the traditional go-to-work things, but that took a lot of her effort and that she followed because she felt like she had a calling. And I really always admired that. How did your grandmother and mother either feel in the past if if your grandmother's still alive or feel today about your career path because that must look very different than what they grew up thinking they were going to do yeah so my grandmother passed away um i was already at elevate when it did when she did and she i think was very proud of the fact that i neither of them had gone to college neither of them had ever had a job so i think the fact that I was in many ways the first woman in this direct line to do both of those things and do an MBA and really focused on my career. They were very, she was very proud. I sometimes think, um, especially this last year when I took the role of CEO, I would have loved to see what she had to say, because we did get into our little tiffs um, <laughs> about our opinions on um, society and, you know, feminism. My mom is, I think, extremely proud. I remember her saying when I was younger that if anything she regretted um, was never finding her financial independence and never being able to, you know, go to college and know that she had a way to make a living if she needed to. So she always pushed me to have that for myself. And now she's she's one of my biggest cheerleaders and fans, to be honest. She's always, it's really funny. She always like tries to listen to the podcast I'm on, or if I'm doing a live something, she will log on and, and listen. And it's not, I don't think, what anyone in my family thought I was going to do, uh, very much, uh, especially when I, where I started my career. It's not something I thought I was going to do, for God's sake. So it's definitely been a surprise. And it took many a year for them to understand what it is that I do. And I'm not sure that they fully do. <laughs> <laughs> 
that they're proud. And it's, and I think they, they always refer to me as uh, the little activist or the good do-gooder um, of the family. Well, let's talk about some of the good you do. You mentioned that episode where you went for the job interview and they needed to know whether you were going to get married. And that kind of flipped a switch in your brain. Elevate wasn't around at that time. What happened next? How did you end up on this career path? So uh, after that, uh, Elevate hasn't been around as Elevate since then. It was actually called 85 Broads back in the day. So 85 Broads has been around for like 22, 23 years. So it started out in the 90s. It was started by this woman, Janet Hansen, uh, that was one of the first sales managers at Goldman Sachs, female sales managers. She was at Goldman and really wanted to find a place to connect. She was leaving Goldman and wanted to build that, like, continue the relationship with women in the firm. So she started this thing. It was called 85 Broads because Goldman Sachs' old address was 85 Broad Street. So it was a play on the name. It was very much so just like a group of people getting together. It started growing like fire, like more people wanted to join, people who were not part of Goldman. She opened it up to students in in, uh, grad school, and then it kept going and it kept growing into something that, you know, was very much her passion project, but, uh, you know, had made a name for itself. I met her while I was in business school. So I met Janet through a mutual friend while I was in business school. And at that point, she, you know, I was kind of just doing my own thing, still thinking I was going to banking. And she was looking for someone to help her just do a little bit of a business plan for the network. Um, so I I was like, sure, I'll do it, you know. Um, so I worked on that. And after that, Jen and I built this relationship where she was very much a sounding board or a mentor for me. So after that call, we had never discussed me taking a role here. She knew that I was, you know, looking for something in finance. But after that call, I remember giving her a call and being like, you won't believe what just happened (laughs) and telling her that. And she's like, that is illegal. I'm like, well, not in Mexico. It's not. But, you know, she she was appalled. And so she, we started kind of talking and she, and she threw it out there to me. She's like, are you sure this is what you want to do? I mean, and she had a couple of people who were going to leave her team. Her team was very small. There were like four people and two of them were leaving um, to go to business school. And so she's like, do you want to come in and help me run this? I mean, try it out for a while. See what you think of doing something that's you know not finance or not banking and seems like you're very interested and passionate about doing social good. So why not? So I was like, eh, you know what? It's worth a shot, right? Like, what's the worst that can happen? I leave in a year. It's totally fine. And so that was 10 years ago. I went in, worked, started kind of helping rebuild this or build this out. Um, a year later, actually, Janet sold the company. Um, and that's a year after that is when we rebranded to Elevate. So it's been a, it's been around for a while. And I've I've been lucky enough to see through to see it through the transition that it's had, starting from its very, very grassroots beginning to, you know, being a community of hundreds of thousands of women around the world. So it's, it's, that's kind of how it went. Tell us about what Elevate's mission statement is today. 
So it's funny you ask because we've been working a lot since I took over. So I took the role of CEO last July. So it's been a few months only. Before that, I was the COO. So there was like not, you know, there's there was continuity. But uh, we really now, our focus is we want to create a world where everyone belongs. I th- I say that that way because the world has changed so much in the last few years. So we can't really just continue to say, you know, we want more women in power. Yes, we want more women in power, but why is that? We want more women in power because we believe that women and individuals who know what it's what it's like what it's like to be different, to not belong, to not have a voice. If we can get those people to have a voice, we can make much more of a human-centric world. So that's where our focus is now. It's really creating a place where everyone belongs. There is a huge increase in isolation, both um, just at work through COVID, and loneliness has skyrocketed. And it's not going to go anywhere right now, considering remote and hybrid work. I mean, people are going to the office and they say so, mostly because they want a connection to someone. And a lot of people, I mean, I'm a Latina. Um, I like keeping an eye on the stats and I like keeping an eye on like what's happening with minorities. And I mean, 76, I think, is the percentage of Latinos who say they can't be themselves at work. So that's huge. So if we can find a way where people can show up and bring their uniqueness and their talent, it would be better for all of us. That is a stunning percentage. 76% mm-hmm. feel that they can't be themselves at work. And it reminds me of this idea that I think I know I used to confuse, and I'm wondering if a lot of people confuse the difference between what equality is versus the words we use nowadays, like diversity, equity, and inclusion. Talk about the difference between the two, because I feel like we get stuck on this a lot, and maybe it's part of the reason we don't move forward. Yeah. So, when you think about equality, and, and and I like the the visual aspects of it, right? So think about a fence. And you have people behind the fence. And you have a really tall, white, cisgender dude. <laughs> he can see right above the fence. You have a shorter woman next to him. He might, she might not see. She's not seeing above the fence. You have someone else next to her. Uh, she, you know, someone probably with a disability, they can't see above the fence. It's the same fence. The fence is equal. So that's equality. Equity, on the other hand, is you bring up the woman, you bring up the person with the disability, you prop them up so they get to be at the same spot as the cisgender heterosexual white man who can see above the fence. That's equity. So equity means you don't you start you bring people and give them what they need so that they can start from an equal playing field that's not what's happened that's traditionally we think about equality and we think you know everyone has the same opportunities but that's not true that systematically minorities have been put in a place where they're starting from a disadvantage so that's where equity comes in and i think it is the way that we should think about it and then when you think about DEI, uh, so diversity, equity, and inclusion, and lately, the way I like to think about it more and more and more, it's being accepted, DEIB, so diversity, equity, inclusion, and belonging, it's, it, you start thinking 
you start seeing it in different ways. So equity is that. Diversity just means diversity, right? Like different perspectives, different ethnicities, different religions, different sexual orientations. It's just different. Problem with diversity, and which is what companies used to think about all the time, it's like those quotas and those things, is diversity for diversity's sake bring, doesn't bring any benefit. You can have a bunch of people who are, you know, different, but if the system is such that the loudest voices are the ones that are heard and the loudest voices are those of the majority of, you know, I'm going to keep picking on the cisgender, heterosexual, heterosexual white man. If those are the ones that are heard, then you might have, you can have as diverse a workforce as you want, but it's not going to help you. That's where inclusion and belonging come. In. That's where the psychological safety in workplaces come in. That's inclusion is that people can feel like they can show up. Belonging is that they don't feel like they have to act as someone else. So those are the words that actually bring the power. So equity, inclusion, and belonging are the words that bring the power of diversity into the workplace or into anything, really. Because, um, you you know, diver I, I love saying this, diversity for diversity's sake means nothing. I'm interested in this idea of inclusion and belonging. And the reason why is I think your average person, even if they're not amazingly aware, kind of understands this idea of equality, right? Mm -hmm. I think you then can add on to that. And then there's a percentage of people who can then say, okay, I understand equality and I get what you're saying about the fence. And yes, equity also makes sense, right? We need to give people the tools to actually get them to the same footing as other people who've always enjoyed these privileges in the past. I think when you get to inclusion and belonging, it gets even more ephemeral. Like I hear your words, but for your average person, what does that actually look like in a workplace? Okay. Let me try and think of an example. A lot of it is psychological safety. So that's kind of where we have to go into. So if I'm I'm a Latina, let's say I'm back back in my work days in finance, right? So I'm coming into this meeting where there's the only woman in the room, only woman of color in the room. So that's different, right? The first feeling, and I, you've heard of the of imposter syndrome, right? I think people are very familiar with that. You feel like you don't, you know, you're not good. You're cheating everyone else. You kind of fold everyone. The reason imposter syndrome exists is because we feel like we don't belong. So if I walk into that room and I see all these people that are different from me, it's very likely that I'm going to think, oh, sh crap, I shouldn't be here. I will feel that I won't, that I don't belong. So what happens then is I will not feel comfortable sharing my ideas. I will not feel comfortable bringing the difference of my opinion to the table. That's where inclusion comes in. So if I have in that, in that room, Forget about the fact that people don't look like me. If I have a manager who believes in inclusion and that person is in that room and understands inclusion and understands the power of inclusion and belonging, and they open the door for me to speak and they make it safe for me to speak, that's the power. That's when the power of diversity comes, comes actual to actual fruition, right? So if people there help make sure that I feel like I can show up, I can say the things that are on my mind, 
even if it's a difference of opinion from someone else, then that's inclusion. So that's a very simplified way of saying it. But if you take that from a meeting and extend it to a whole company, it's it becomes really hard to not see the power of what inclusion can do. A lot of people leave the workplace because they don't feel like they belong. They've A lot of people, especially women and minorities, leave their companies because of that feeling of exclusion or isolation that comes from feeling like they can't be heard. Do you think your average corporation, the people in power today, know that? I think they don't. I really think they don't. And the ones that do don't, there are some that get it. I think some that get it. I think a lot of them are, like you were saying, stuck on the diversity for, you know, diversity and equality and, you know, the words that we've been using in the past. I don't think they realize the ramification and the ripple effect of some of the small actions that have that happen in the workplace. So I think I think that's what's happening now uh, is that us individuals are starting to realize that. It is important for us that other things are important for us when we come to work. Um, I think COVID has made a huge change in our priorities and why people work where they work, what they're looking for. You know, we were, I mean, faced with collective grief and all the things that have come through with COVID and people are really wanting. I mean, this is this is partly like when I say psychological safety, it is part of well-being and mental health. Right. So. I think what's going to happen is that companies are starting to realize that if they want to retain talent and if they want to engage employees, something needs to change. I don't know that they are naming it inclusion and belonging. I think a lot of it is, you know, kind of wrapped up in culture. Uh, but it, I think they're coming to a realization that uh, that things need to change. And and if you see the numbers, I mean, the there's so much money spent on diversity, equity, and inclusion that is not going on the right places because they're not tackling the real root of the problem, which is this belonging and isolation at work. We are talking to Maricela Herrera Vila. She's the CEO of the Elevate Network. We are going to take a short break. I'm Doc G, and this is the Earn and Invest podcast. This episode is brought to you by Range Rover Sport. Range Rover Sport leads by example. With a visceral, uncompromising, and dramatic feel, this car helps you rise to the occasion. How does it do that? Range Rover Sport has powerful on-road performance and commanding all-terrain capability by combining assertiveness with signature Range Rover refinement. This is the car that redefines sporting luxury. The new Range Rover Sport features advanced cabin technologies such as active noise cancellation and cabin air purification, purposeful cockpit-like driving position, and award-winning PIVI Pro infotainment is at the heart of the experience and provides intuitive control of the vehicle systems. Design your Range Rover Sport at LandRoverUSA.com. Once again, explore and build your Range Rover Sport at L-A-N-D-R-O-V-E-R. USA.com. That's LandRoverUSA.com. Are you struggling to close deals? 
B2B selling is tougher than ever, and that's why I want to tell you about LinkedIn Sales Navigator. Fueled by LinkedIn's 1 billion member platform, Sales Navigator gives you the most up-to-date first-party data, enabling you to unlock conversations with the people that matter. Sales Navigator helps you target the right buyers, service key signals such as job changes or which accounts you should prioritize, and shows you hidden allies so you can find those buyers that are most likely to convert. LinkedIn Sales Navigator is a sales intelligence platform that helps professionals effectively prospect and engage high-value customers, drive higher revenue, and increase sales performance. Right now, you can try LinkedIn Sales Navigator and get a 60-day free trial at linkedin.com slash earn. That is linkedin.com slash E-A-R-N for a 60-day free trial. Let LinkedIn Sales Navigator help you sell like a superstar today. Just go to linkedin.com slash earn and get started. Let me reintroduce you. We are talking to Maricela Herrera Avila. She is the CEO of the Elevate Network, the largest community for women plus at work focused on creating a culture of equity and inclusion in business. Maricela, before the break, you had mentioned the pandemic. Talk about the effect of the pandemic on individuals at the workplace and especially women. Has it had a more profound effect on women? It absolutely has. I I mean, if you think about it, well, A, more than a million women left the workforce and we still haven't gotten them back fully. And that's in the US. So the lots of gains that we had done and gotten on gender equity, we went back years just through this. Because even people who stuck to the workplace or kind of, you know, tried to keep going, women bear most of the child and caregiving responsibilities. So that is the way it is. You know, it's part of the unpaid labor that's out there. And there's tons of studies and research about this. We are in that again in the unpaid labor, we're the ones that take care of the household. So we were faced with so much more pressures than others that might have also that, you know, we were all in the pandemic, but the pressures were higher. And add to that, that we don't make enough money, like we make on average 83 cents on the dollar. It's, uh, it's definitely was more impactful for women. I think the rates of burnout have been higher for women because there was a complete disruption to our livelihoods, not just for work, but also the rest of the things that we were doing. A lot of people who, a lot of women who left the workforce was because of that. If you think of, you know, what you're making versus what it's paying, it didn't make sense. It ended up being like, you know what? Maybe I'll just stay stick to childcare because it costs me more than anything else. It definitely has impacted women in a in a much more tangible way, I would say. And I think the the problem is that it didn't it didn't change. Right. Like we've seen progress through the pandemic and vaccines and, you know, people coming back to work. But then you have ideas like remote work, for example, or hybrid work. The people who are most likely to take advantage of those setups are women and minorities. They are the ones that need it the most. Why? Because we have more stuff at home. We have more responsibilities. There's a lot of that that's going to happen. But if the workplace doesn't change, what's going to happen with that 
is that recognition for those people, which will be much less because there's always a proximity bias when you're at work. We can say, you know, that the effects of the pandemic are kind of, yes, they were terrible on women. And we heard in 2020 and 2021, it's a she session and all these words I really hated. <laughs> but the problem is it's not it's not done yet. We're seeing that it 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 will continue to affect women if there's no changes in the way business works fundamentally from performance reviews and evaluations to like what is being taken into consideration there's very likely that we're going to be leaving more women and more and more people of color behind you mentioned the pandemic has changed women's attitudes towards work in an article i read that you posted on linkedin and i'm going to quote you here you said these changes in attitude towards work don't have anything to do with ambition, priorities, or purpose. Instead, I realize that we as a society are suffering from a crisis of trust. Tell me about that crisis of trust. Who who don't we trust anymore? I think we don't trust anyone. <laughs> so no, no one at a, all. <laughs> no one at all. Well, I mean, no, no big institutions. We we can trust, you know, individuals, but uh we don't trust a, I think there's a pretty I mean, look at the news, just see the news. And they, I think there's a pretty lack of pretty big lack of trust in our government. Uh, the way the pandemic was managed was a big example. It was quite the disastrous back and forth. And, you know, uh, how do you how can you trust institutions like that? And I think that there's become a really big distrust about in business and in business leadership. So I when I was writing that article, it all came from conversations I've had with people around me, both in the network or friends of mine, um, and how they're they're facing their work challenges. I do think prioritization has changed. Yes, I do think there's some of that where we kind of don't don't want to live to work, but maybe work to live. But a lot of the attitude changes are because they they do, I do hear them like in any moment, I can be gone. You know, this company will, does not care about me. Leaders do not take seriously or to heart what people need. You know, one of my friends was like, well, it's easy for you to talk differently because I was talking about how, you know, I had read so many articles about women being less ambitious. That's not true. There's tons of research coming out uh, that that's completely fake. And especially when it comes to women of color, black women have increased their ambitious ambitiousness significantly um, post pandemic. And yet. And yet. When I told my friends like, oh, you know, I'm still working, I, I feel like I'm giving it up my all and yes, my priorities and yes, I'm doing working for a mission. A lot of them that worked in big companies were like, well, you're talking, you're saying that because you work in a small place. You're saying that because you work, you know, you're the CEO, you're saying that. And, I, and it made me wonder and I started asking more and more like, okay, so what would make it different? And all it came back to was I have to look out for myself because no one else is going to look out for me. And I'm not fundamentally opposed to that. I do think that, you know, you have to look out for yourself. But if you're only looking out for you, how are we creating a place where there is equity? 
where there is something more. And it's human nature. It is one of the big motivators. And I, God, I, I've been going down this rabbit hole on, you know, the theories of motivation and why humans do what they do. And part of it is because we want to be connected to something bigger. And if we're all thinking just, I have to look out for number one, how are you connecting to something bigger? And so that kind of was where it started this thought of like, you know, why is that? And the, and the truth is, is because I feel like we can't trust anyone else. It's the last couple of years we realized we had to look out for me. And it, it actually made me quite sad. But, uh, but that's where, I, where I'm coming from with this crisis of trust. I think that without trust, that's the basis to any relationship, right? That's the basis for so anything to move forward and for any connection. As I listen to your answer, I, I can't but help think back to the good old days, right? The good old days, which weren't so good. Yeah. But when you look back into the 50s and the 60s and even the 70s and 80s, there was this idea that you could trust your company, right? The big companies in America had these huge pensions and they were doing these things to support people, typically white men, when I say people, right? Because at that time, diversity and equity and inclusion were just not a thing. So how in today's world, right, in the 2020s, do we build back some of that idea of trust, which I think was there in America's history, but do it in a much more inclusive way? How do we get back to that? Because I feel like we had that trust at one point in our history. In my opinion, when you look at the way human resources for saying something, just saying those words have shifted is a start. Because if we think of human resources as human resources, we're really just talking about people as numbers. When you think about people and really believing in companies having a human-centric approach, that's where you can start building trust. And by that, I mean, that's where inclusion and belonging come in. That's where treating people like people. And, you know, I was saying about the theories of motivation, right? If you think about the trends that are happening in the workplace, flex work, looking for purpose. And the number one thing that employers are looking for, which is adaptability and ability to learn. If you look at those three things and you map them out to motivation, they're the same. So if you think about the theory of some of the theories of motivation, we want to be autonomous. That's flexibility, being able to make our own decisions. That motivates us. Mastery or being competent at something. So the ability to learn, the need to learn is a human need that motivates us. And the connection to something larger, which is purpose. So they're they're right there, right? Like it's 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 shouldn't be that hard to realize that these are the trends of that we should be embracing when it is innate to us for us to want that. So my theory is if we can become simply put, if we companies can start treating people like people and putting that at the center of the way that they work, people will eventually be able to trust. We've been talking about the effects of the pandemic and in a sense, the great resignation, although we haven't called it that in this conversation on workers and their sense of trust. 
specifically in corporations, but you also included the government there. Another topic which you've written about on LinkedIn is the Dobbs abortion decision, right? The kind of overturning of Roe v. Wade. How does that affect women's economic health? Massively, because if you think about who use the services of abortion the most, it's usually minorities and it's usually people who are not financially secure in the first place. A lot of the reasons for abortions be medically, be otherwise, but have to do with a financial decision. So you're bringing someone, you're bringing a human into this world because you can't do something about it, but you're bringing someone into this world without an actual safety net from the government, right? Like, so the same people who are debating on like abortion should be illegal. Okay, fine. Let's do that. But you need to provide for caregiving, for healthcare, for all of the things that need this little human will then need. There's none of that in the US. What happens is it ends up hitting the livelihood of women. They're the ones that need to take off work. They're the ones that likely will never be able to get back to the same rhythm of work as they had. It certainly impacts their wealth because you now have to provide for someone else. There is a direct repercussion repercussion in their economics. And there are studies that track people who had been in a situation where they couldn't have an abortion. And they are many times, I can't remember the exact, I wish I did, times more likely to be in a state of poverty than those who did have access to an abortion. So it's it's directly linked. And to me, I mean, a lot of people talk about equal pay, fair pay. And yes, we absolutely I mean huge problem, right? But this is this is this can be in the same bucket if you think about it. Like it's not so I did get a lot of people saying, not a lot, but a few people being like, you know, stay in your lane. Abortion is not the economic and career success of women, but I argue it is. It absolutely is. It affects women's careers. So just as equal pay, this is another way that we have to address the gender and the gender wealth gap. We have to admit as a society that abortion is a DEI issue, whether we want mm-hmm. to you know, whether we want to admit it or not, um, it clearly has a huge impact. Yeah, it really does. I want to round up this conversation by looking towards the future. Whenever we have these kind of conversations, a lot of the time I start to wonder about who the onus is on for change, right? So we talk about how women can change, how they can do things different, et cetera. But is the onus on women or people of color or non-cisgender people, or is the onus on the government to change things? Hmm. I don't want to say it's on, you know, the minority women, people of color, LGBTQ plus community. I don't think it's necessarily on us just, I think it's on everyone. And that includes very much so the majorities. So again, picking at the white cisgender heterosexual males. I guess I fall into my own trap of like, yeah, sure. I think the government has a big role to play, but I don't trust it to do anything. So it's where I think, you know, if we want to see change, it has to start individually and it has to start with each and every one of us. 
Um, I think companies have a big role to play. It's a capitalistic society. And I think that that's, you know, we, this is how we live. And I do think that the government has a role to play in creating policies that protect these minorities. But if we want to see truthfully change, it'll start on the micro level. It'll start at the micro level one by one. Um, I usually talk a lot about managers and their effect within business because I, you can say, you know, the CEO can big in a big corporation can say, we are going to focus on inclusion and equity and belonging. But if managers aren't doing anything, then their team are not having that. So it all comes to a micro level of interactions where we can start making a difference. Let's talk a little bit more about individual responsibility. At the Elevate Network, you've started using the term women plus. Why did you do that? And why should, you know, for instance, a white cisgender male be interested in the Elevate Network? So we started using the term women plus uh, because we believe that if we want to achieve gender equity, we're not going to do it alone. It's going to be with the help of, it's going to be work done by women, non-binary individuals, and men. It really is a beneficial for all of us because there are, if you read about it, obviously, you know, women have issues with gender equity, but um, non-binary individuals probably have even more, right? It's it's something that's come to light and being more generally accepted in the recent few years. So the, the inequity they face is going to be harder and harder. And men, believe it or not, gender equity affects them too. I mean, there is a huge amount of toxic masculinity and gender roles that men have to play or act in a certain way because it's been socialized to be that way. For men to be able to also be their whole selves, their authentic selves, and bring that to the table, we have to change the whole narrative of how we think of gender and how we think of the roles gender play. Uh, why would a man be interested in Elevate? Uh, I think I think that's one of the biggest reasons. I think that the the benefit that everyone in society can have from us rethinking our gender roles and rethinking equity is is the main one. I'll be honest. I usually hear from cisgender heterosexual white men. Uh, oh, I have a daughter, so now I care about that. <laughs> Don't wait till you have a daughter because it is. It is something that matters to everyone. It is something that affects everyone. It will affect your place of work. It will affect the people who you have relationships with. And it is something that will help you be able to be comfortable in your skin, whatever gender that you identify with. So at the beginning of this podcast, I read into my introduction the story about my mother and what it was like for her in the 1980s to be one of the few women and a woman with children in the workplace. And I asked at the end of my introduction, have we made any headway? And so I want to pose that question to you. Have we made any headway? I think so. I think so. We have. There's been changes. I mean, if you track the gender pay gap, it's gone up. It's still terrible and abysmal. And if you think about the gender wealth gap, it's even worse. But we do see more women in leadership. We do see more women in the workplace. We do see, I think, a lot more 
thoughtfulness when it comes to working mothers. I actually think that there's a there's it there needs to be a lot more, and there needs to be a lot of a shift from thinking of working mother mothers to thinking of working caregivers, because you don't necessarily just have kids. You might be taking care of elder parents or other people in your family, and women are the ones that do that the most. But there has been movement. The problem is this, the movement is slow. And it's gotten slower with COVID. COVID did bring us back a few years. So, you know, I do think if your mom was working with her kids at this point in time, she would have an easier time than she did in the 80s, for sure, for sure. But she wouldn't have it the best way that it can be. She wouldn't have, you know, we still can't have it all. We never will. But it, but it is better. Well, Maricel, I wanted to thank you for coming on the show today. What I take from our conversation is that it has been an evolution. We started with equality. We've moved forward to understanding what equity is and the role it plays, not only in the workplace, but in the world. And maybe we will continue to evolve to inclusion and belonging. We've made some headway, but we still have a long way to go. And if we're going to get there, it's going to take all of us, every single one of us. I wanted to take a moment to end this episode the way and every episode by asking you what is up next in your life and if people are interested, how they can contact you. So what is coming up next for you? Sure. So I'm full on diving headfirst into what we're calling, what I'm calling Elevate 3.0 and what the new iteration of Elevate will be, um, doing a lot of work into how do we bring belonging much more into the forefront. Uh, we're working on our annual summit. It's Mobilize Women. It happens every June. We talk about really hard-hitting topics. So that's that's coming up uh, this year. So those are, those are where I'm going. Where can you find me? ElevateNetwork.com. That's Elevate with two L's. Or on LinkedIn, Maricela Herrera A. Um, and you can please be in touch. I mean, happy to hear from people who like debating these topics. It's my passion and uh, we'll continue to work on that. <laughs> this has been the Earn and Invest podcast. On behalf of myself, Doc G, I'd like to thank Maricela Herrera Avila. That's a wrap. Earn and Invest is now part of the Airwave Media Podcast Network. Visit airwavemedia.com to listen and subscribe to this show as well as other fine podcasts. Awesome. I leave things running just for the few minutes for an after show. Um, I really enjoy that conversation. I think it's a conversation we have to have over and over and over again. Um, you know, it's very impactful for me because I was the child of a pretty much a single mother, right? So my how I learned about the world was seeing through a professional mother who managed everything, right? So to me, these things, and of, of course, I also have a professional wife and a daughter. But on top of that, I think my orientation has always been towards having a better understanding of these issues because I somewhat lived it. Now, to me, that was normal, though. So having a professional mm -hmm. mother who was the head of the household, who I mean, it never even occurred to me that there were things my mom couldn't do until I got older and realized that life was a little more complicated. Yeah, it's it's so interesting. Like, I talked to my friends and, you know, we've, got, we've gotten older, but like when I when we just got out of business school, I remember people being like, 
what do you mean things are not equal? <laughs> I'm like, yeah. a few years later, they're like, oh, that's what you were talking about. Um, it's, you, you get slapped in the face at, at some point. <laughs> um, but I hope more people start opening their eyes and more people, and I think they have, I think it's becoming much more of an ongoing conversation. But there's so much work to do. Yeah. It's a difference between, I feel like we've moved up really ahead in awareness, mm-hmm. but we haven't codified that awareness into action. I mean, we have surface actions, right? Like you said, a lot of companies now have DEI policies or even DEI staff, but that's still a far cry from the working on the microaggressions and the habits and patterns of the workplace that don't support you know a good percentage of the population who's working there because it's not sensitive to anything other than typical white male behavior for better or for worse yeah. yeah it's it's the problem i think or one of the biggest problems is that companies start everyone starts with diversity and mm. that's what we've gotten used to hearing about right but everyone starts with diversity but if you start with diversity, you have the people and it doesn't really bring out the best in them, but also they leave because they don't feel like they are Belong. included. Yeah. So you actually have to start with inclusion and belonging and fix that so that your diversity can actually work uh, and your diversity policies. That's why you hear a lot of companies being like, well, but we have a group like we hired so many women. And so yeah. they're hiring at the lower levels. They're not promoting. They're not bringing them to the top, which means they leave. Yeah, yeah. You care about your money. Of course you do. So why aren't you listening to SoFi Daily? This podcast will keep you updated on the latest news in the stock market and how it could impact your financial life. Stay on top of what's happening. Listen to SoFi Daily wherever you get your podcasts. That's SoFi Daily wherever you get your podcasts. It feels really good to be productive, but a lot of the time it's easier said than done, especially when you need to make time to learn about productivity so you can actually, you know, be productive. But you can start your morning off right and be ready to get stuff done in just a few minutes with the Inc. Productivity Tip of the Day podcast. New episodes drop every weekday, so listen and subscribe to Inc. Productivity Tip of the Day wherever you get your podcasts. That's Inc. Productivity Tip of the Day wherever you get your podcasts.